we've been talking about living a resurrected life. In our scriptures this morning, from Paul again, but this time to the Romans in chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I admit that I am continually amazed that American Idol stays on the air and that the ratings never seem to wane. I think they've hit on something, and that is that Americans, by and large, do idolize entertainers. We also idolize some athletes and some leaders, but it's not just people we idolize. Sometimes we idolize other things. Americans tend to idolize success, fame. Uh, Americans across the board tend to idolize youth. But if I were to think of the American idol that was most consistent during my adult lifetime, it would be this. The real American idol for, nor- for those of us in North America is simply this, our body. Think of all the time and energy that is spent around our body. Think of all that Madison Avenue produces to influence us one way or another uh, about our body. A quick glance, watching TV for a while, finds all sorts of opportunities to spend on our body, and we are promised that we can have fuller hair, darker hair, more hair, and we're promised that we can have six-pack abs and buns of steel. It's all there for us. Think of the amount of money that people spend annually. It's a multi-billion dollar industry on diet aids of one kind or another. Americans, by and large, tend to idolize their bodies. Now let me quickly say that bodies are a good thing. Bodies are a good thing. They are God's gift from God. They are God's gift from God to us. In fact, whatever it is that I'm feeling, thinking, whatever I value, whatever my ideals are, they're typically going to be expressed through my body and actions that I take. Dallas Willard, who's greatly influenced my thinking for the message this morning, It reminds us that the Christian faith itself is what he calls relentlessly incarnational. I mean, God just can't picture us apart from our bodies. God won't. God so valued the human body. God so valued the human body that God came to earth in the form of a human body. God became flesh. And if you and I are going to live the resurrected life that we've been talking about now for four Sundays at all, it's going to be through the body. Now, I know at first this presents a little bit of problem because when you and I think of resurrected bodies, we sort of think of heavenly bodies. We think about Paul's discussion with the Corinthians when they said, Now, when I die and I'm raised up, what kind of body will I have? And Paul, you might remember, said, Well, I don't know exactly, but just as uh, plants and animals have the appropriate kind of body for their environment, so you, said Paul, will have an appropriate kind of body for the heavenly environment. That's helpful to me. George MacDonald, who was a mentor to C.S. Lewis, hypothesized that our heavenly bodies would be a lot like the body we saw Jesus, or we read about Jesus having after the resurrection, a body that even passes through walls. MacDonald went on to say he thought in heaven that our bodies would actually pass through each other and that we would be known and would know in ways that had never been possible before. And that all may be true. I know when I think of our heavenly body, I tend to think of bodies that have hair. We all have different ideas. But actually, well, that's interesting. That's not what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about 
the only body right now that Jesus can inhabit. And that is, you're looking at it. Look around. That is your earthly body. That is the only body where the resurrected power of Jesus can live and can move and can act. If Jesus is not in the body that you have right now, he will never be in your body at all. This is the body and vessel for resurrected living. Now, with that in mind, let me just make two suggestions this morning about the body as a vessel for the resurrected power of Christ. The first thing is this, that in order for this to happen, we will need to make sure that our bodies are not our masters. Bodies are wonderful servants for us, but they are terrible masters. How would we know that our body is mastering us? The first thing would simply be that we would idolize our body. We would spend too much time and attention and effort on our body. Or as Dallas Willard says, we make our body an object of ultimate concern. I mean, think about it. How much money did you and I spend this month on products for our body? For how we might look or or smell or, uh, or how much we might weigh? What did we invest in it? How much time did we invest getting ready, our body ready, before we came out this morning to church? And was that the best and proper use of our time? How many hours do we spend working out and do we know when the body we have is, is enough and is right? We, when we make our body our idol, when it becomes the main thing about us, our body has become our master. I think our body becomes our master when we decide to give in to all of the things that the body thinks it wants. All the bodily desires, all the pleasures that the body wants fulfilled. When you yield to those, your body has become your master. When, you're, when we are into instant gratification through our body, our body has begun uh, to master us. All of us, I believe, have different addictions. Some are more obvious and more destructive than others. But an addiction is simply giving in to our body. An addiction is simply letting our body be our master and deciding that whatever our body thinks it needs and it wants, it will get. Whether it's through the eye or or through the mouth or wherever, we give our body what it wants and it becomes our master. Our body is our master when we idolize it, when we give in to it. Our body becomes our master when we misuse our body. And there are a number of ways that we can misuse our body. Our body is misused whenever we use it to intimidate another person. Now, you might think that that's uh, harder for some of us than others. Well, you don't have to be of a certain stature to intimidate another person with a look or with a stance or position or posture that you take. Do you use your body in ways that indicate hostility toward other people? That's a misuse of your body. What do you do with your tongue, with your language? Do you ever put down or verbally abuse another person. That is a misuse of your body. And then we might even think about how we dress our body. We can misuse our body through dress, through the way that we dress or what we don't dress. And, and you don't have to be a playmate or a Chippendale to fall in that category. But do you dress yourself in a, in a way that tends to or is an attempt to manipulate another person one way or the other? Something interesting happened to Pastor Donna a week ago last night, she went off campus to uh, do a wedding. And as Donna is wont to do when she goes off campus for a wedding or a funeral, she took a robe and had it on. But the person doing the off-site wedding, the photography, I guess, was not used to women pastors. So when the service was over, he tried to get the bride and groom to pose for a picture with Donna. So he said, would you two stand here with the judge? 
sometimes the robe is a form of power dressing. And, and, and you may know that they have to tie me down before the 11 o'clock service and throw this robe on me. And the reason is because the robe can often be a sign of power. And Donna doesn't have power over you. I do not have power over you. Mark does not have power over you. Originally, the robes were worn in the church as a symbol of servanthood, that we were here to serve, to help lead you as a servant toward what Christ is calling you to become. And these stoles are simply symbols of the towel that Jesus used to wipe the disciples' feet, to wash their feet. They were symbols not of power, but of servanthood. But when you watch Judge Judy on TV, do you think of servanthood? And that robe, we don't. So sometimes even the way we dress is a misuse of our body. And, and when that happens, our body's our master. It is no longer our servant. My suggestion to you this morning then is this. If the resurrected Christ is to be at home in your body, then your body will need to be your servant and not your master. Now how does that begin? I think it begins where Paul begins. Paul simply says, offer your bodies to God as a form of worship. Imagine yourself, if you will, this morning crawling up on the altar table and saying, God, this body is yours. It starts with that. The idea that God would take control of your body and use your body. It's interesting to me that the conclusion of Jesus' life, when the apostles in the book of Acts are preaching about Jesus, this is one of the summary sentences about him. They said this, he went about doing good. He went about doing good. How about just simply praying each day when you get up, God... Let me use this body for good, or you use my body for good. Let it be an instrument for you, for good in this world, not an instrument just to gratify myself or get something that I want the way that I want it. It begins by offering yourself to God. It begins there. But I think it continues with appropriately caring for your body. There is a place for working out. There is a place for proper nutrition and and exercise. And that is so that we will have a fit and appropriate home in which Jesus can dwell so that when Jesus calls us to do something, we are physically able to respond in appropriate ways. Paul said that you all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It was collective, y'all. But if that's true, then it's also true that individually as part of that collective, y'all, we become a vessel for the Holy Spirit. We become a temple for God. And it's appropriate then that the temple be in good condition. If we're going to be a vessel for God's use, then the vessel can't have holes in it. Can't pour anything into something that leaks. So it's appropriate that we do take care of our body with the right amount of exercise. Because I think one of the things that we do to misuse our body is we overwork. Uh, Some of us just are whirling dervishes. 24-7 is our motto And that is our life. And I'd say that's a misuse of the body because then we're not able to respond when Jesus calls us to respond because we've been too busy doing other things. So my encouragement is if your body is to be your servant, start by offering it to God. Continue by taking care of of it. And I would suggest that the immediate way to take care of your body and offer to God at the same time is by doing what you're doing this morning. Take a Sabbath. Rest. The word Sabbath in Hebrew means Quit it. Stop it. You can't go full force all the time. God arranged nature to where nature was in rhythms and included rest. God encouraged the Israelites to let their land lie fallow once every seven years. It would still produce, and it would produce more bountifully after that. One of the things about resting, stopping our activity, is it indicates our trust in God to begin with. 
It says to God, well, you know, I suppose if I take some time, if I just slow down for a minute, the world will still keep spinning on its axis. If I step away from work for a little while, the the global economy and, and the national economy will continue to go in motion even without me. It's a way of trusting in God. One of my favorite professors in school had a sign on his desk and it said, I hereby resign as boss of the universe. And I thought that made a lot of sense. A number of us have written our letter of resignation, but we haven't turned it in yet. You know, we think to ourselves, we ought to trust God. You know, we, we ought to slow down. We ought to, but we can't do it. And we take control. Rest is one way that says, God, this body is yours. And I trust you to use this body in right and appropriate ways. One of the things that happens when you're tired is that you are more susceptible to your body being your master. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but when your body is tired, then you are more susceptible to looking for a quick hit. As I mentioned, whether the hit comes through the eyes or comes through the mouth or however the hit comes into you or through a vein, it's a quick hit. And we get susceptible to that when our body is run down. Our body becomes our master and we'll do anything just to get our body off our back for just a few moments. Sin only looks attractive to tired people. Rested people, I don't believe, find sin near as attractive as those who are run down. And if you rest appropriately and offer your body to God and care for it in good ways, then you will have lived and used your earthly body well. And then you will move to inherit the body that you will have for eternity. But what will be said about your earthly body when it's all said and done? I thought about two memorials uh, recently that I heard about. One was from the late John Claypool who talked about his cousin. His cousin, distant cousin, lived in Nashville, Tennessee. And when he died, this was his obituary. This is all they could find to say about him. He was, said the obituary, the best left-handed golfer at the Bellmead Country Club. That's what his life came down to. He wasn't even Phil Mickelson. He was just the best left-handed golfer at Bellmead Country Club. That's what it all came down to. And then there is this other memorial, this other remembrance. Perhaps you have read or heard it before. It goes something like this. He said, this is my body, which is given for you.